0: live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show.
1: With all due respect, I reject your theory completely, but you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The
0: AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414- 799-1620.
1: for a present. Get in the Race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Boy, if you're Governor Tony Evers, you got to be wondering what, what, who is this guy, and why is he criticizing me? You heard the news account, Chuck Qualla, and and you. Probably, unless you have been around here for a long time, you probably don't remember Chuck Kuala. But Chuck Kuala, he's quoted as saying, hey, Tony Evers, the governor, his handling of the budget was an absolute disaster. They weren't up to this budget, et cetera, et cetera. He's blasting them. All right. Now, now you might ask yourself, who is Chuck Qualla? Let me give you a little bit of history lesson here. Chuck Kuala is the disgraced former state senator who was kind of, is a Democrat, Run out of Madison, kind of on a rail. Got caught up in the whole, this thing they called the caucus scandal back in the late 90s. Ended up losing his law license for a while. Got convicted of all sorts of stuff. Before all that happened, though, Chuck Kuala was the Democratic nominee for governor in 1994. All right. Grew producing the show today. All right. Now, you know Wisconsin. Wisconsin is... It's, it's a 50-50 state. You know, sometimes it goes red, sometimes it goes blue. What percentage of the vote do you think, now, uh, Chuck Walla was the Democrat candidate for governor against Tommy Thompson in 1994. Would you like to guess what percentage of the vote he got? You know, you've been following elections, but do you want to guess? Boy, it's got to be low, uh, somewhere I... in the 20s. Well, okay, but, I mean, well, it would it actually you're actually not really that far off. He got less than thirty-one percent of the vote. I mean, it's one of the biggest electoral landslides, if not the biggest, in Wisconsin gubernatorial history. Given the split in this state between Republicans and Democrats, it, it's almost impossible for somebody who is either a Republican or a Democrat to get less than forty percent of the vote. That that's just kind of the reality. It, it, it's almost impossible. Chuck Kuala managed to make it happen. 30.88% of the vote, he lost Milwaukee County. I mean, it's just, it is stunning how badly he did in that particular election. And so, you know, the headline in the paper is Chuck Kuala rips fellow Democrat Tony Evers, saying the governor's handling of the budget was a disaster. Well, when it comes to politics and elections and things like that, Chuck Koala, if you look up his picture in the dictionary and his name, you will find that under the heading of disaster. So I will concede this. When it comes to disasters, Chuck Koala knows electoral disasters. And far be it from me to defend Tony Evers, even though I'm – I actually – I don't think the budget was that bad. I I really – I don't, given the fact – that you have Republicans who control the Assembly and the Senate, and you've got a Democrat who's the governor that has broad veto power. I mean, that, that's just kind of the reality of this. And, you know, you, you can argue about whether he should have gotten more, should have gotten less, or, or whatever. But for Chuck Kuala to be, uh, again, saying, well, this guy was a disaster, that really is one where you say pot meet kettle. Chuck Kuala criticizing him. All right. Let's get started. Let, let's start. We're going to be talking a lot about politics, I'm afraid, today because of some of the stuff that's going on. But I want to start with something at least nearer and dearer to my heart and closer to home. If you are a regular listener of this program, you know I just love the Brewers. I do, I do. And after listening to and watching the game last night, I have come to this conclusion, this is a lost season. The trade deadline is coming up July 31st. It is time to stop digging the hole, it is time to bail, and it is time to start looking towards next season. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Now, look, I was excited, and I'll give you my perspective. I, I share. I, I have. I go to at least twenty games a year. On, on tickets that I, I buy with my friend Evan. And then, you know, I probably go to maybe at least another 10 games, you know, elsewhere. So I, I love the Brewers, love going to the ball game. Nothing about to say means I'm going to be less of a fan or not going to continue to listen to the games or attend the games. I'm a huge fan, okay? At the same time, I am also realistic. I loved what happened last year. How cool was that, coming within one game of the World Series? And I understand what the Brewers tried to do. They said, okay, we've got budgetary limitations, but let's go out. Let's bring in Grandal. We'll pay him a whole bunch of money. Let's bring Moustakis back. That's okay. And the plan was, all right, you know, we've got these players. If they can do what they did last year or get better – we'll be fine. And if the pitching staff can come around and they can improve, we'll be fine. All right. Well, that was the plan. It didn't work out. And this is, I mean, it's just the, the reality. You know, you've got Christian Yelich, who's all world. You've got Lorenzo Cain in center field, who's, solid but he's I think he's banged up he's not having anywhere near as good a year as he had last year you've got Ryan Braun in left field who's being paid superstar money and and he's older he's banged up he's not performing like a superstar the guys at first base have been awful for a good chunk of the year and with a couple notable exceptions the pitching staff has been absolutely awful right now they're 48 and 47 they've lost 8 out of their last 10 games it's worse than that they're coming up with a really you know a tough stretch of teams and they are sinking they are mired with about 6 or 7 other teams fighting for the the wild card and you know best case scenario Best case scenario, maybe they're going to be able to cobble out something where you best case scenario would be you get into that second wild card game. You go and play on the road. But the reality is, you know, as somebody who watches a lot of baseball games, you you see how the Atlanta Braves are playing and you see how the Dodgers are playing. And the the truth is, the Brewers aren't aren't better than them. And no, no fault. They're just that's the reality. They're not better than them for whatever reasons. The team they have on the field right now is not doing well. And you don't know where that change is going to be. Now, in 2008, the Brewers went out and made a huge move. They brought in CC Sabathia. He kind of put the team on his back and they ended up, you know, making the playoffs. That, that was really great. It was a tremendous thing. Everybody loved that. But I don't think there's a CC Sabathia out there. And I don't know that even, you know, even if they had the money, which I don't think they do, even if they had the money, is there one player that they could go out and get at the trade line, which trade deadline which was going to make a significant difference? And my answer would be probably no, which then says, all right, for all those of us who love the Brewers, is it time to perhaps take the other approach and just say, look, this season hasn't worked out, all right? Maybe what we need to do is we need to be sellers. The trade deadline is July 31st, so that's coming up in like a little over two weeks. We need to be sellers. Let's take some of these players who – You know, are either underperforming or have value, but, you know, we're going to maybe lose them next year or whatever. And and let's trade them to contending teams. And let's get back some pitching prospects, people that are close to being in the major leagues, people that have good arms. Let's get them here and let's start working with them with the idea that, you know, maybe next year we can run out a team that's going to get back to where we were last year. I won't be upset if they do that. I will not sit here and criticize this team if they decide to be sellers, I would rather, I mean, I want to see the Brewers win the World Series. Isn't that what everybody wants to see? And this team, as presently constituted, isn't going to come close to doing that this year. So doesn't it make sense to maybe say, all right, let's 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 play for next year. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Trade deadline is coming up. Brewers Nation. All right, are you going to get upset if they start to say, hey, okay, we've got some players that might have some value. Now, obviously, you're not going to trade somebody like Christian Yelich or Lorenzo Cain, but you got some players that have value. Maybe we trade them to contending teams, and we get good players back in return, and we kind of reset the clock. 414-799-1620, that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line. From my perspective as a fan, if the Brewers were to do that, I wouldn't be upset at all. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: We're back. Here's some text. Jeff, I'm a diehard Brewers fan, as you are, but this team is done. I completely agree. We need to try and replenish the farm system so we can keep putting good teams around Gellich in the coming years. Jeff, I agree. The season's heading the wrong way. Braun, I feel it's almost impossible to trade because of his production for salary, but I agree, anybody but Yelich should go. Let's see, um, alright, Jeff, the Brewers are only two and a half out on July 16th, relax, best case scenario is the second wild card slot, what world are you living in? To which I would say, what team are you watching? I mean, really, I go to all the games. I go to a lot of the games. I I listen to the games. I watch the games. This is not a good baseball team right now. And, And, yes, I mean, here's the deal. Let's figure to win the NL Central. Right now they are 48 and 47, average. 48 and 47, even though they've had to lose a lot of games to get there. To win 90 games... To win ninety games means, um, which is probably what you need to do to win this Central Division title, you got to go forty-two and twenty-five. Is there any, is there anything you've seen this entire season? That convinces you that the Brewers are suddenly going to be able to win sixty-two percent of the remaining games, and and my answer would be no. You know, could they limp in and get a second wild card space and go on the road? And yeah, okay, maybe. I mean, is it possible they could make the playoffs? Yeah, but are they really a World Series caliber team as presently constituted? I would say the answer is no. Paul in the North Shore, Paul, you're on WTMJ. Thanks for taking
2: the call,
1: Jeff. Sure. What do you think? You
2: know, I, I think they're closer where they were last year than they are to uh, totally selling out. So uh, you read a, a text that said everyone's intentional except Yellich. Mm-hmm. I think you got to keep Kane in there. I mm-hmm. think you got to keep certainly Tess and Hero,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
2: probably a handful of pitchers. So who are you going to sell to
1: and what are you going to get? Okay, well, t- 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 no, fair, fair question. Four, months,
2: uh, four years.
1: Well, fair so question.
2: Four
3: years
1: fair question. Grinnell, for for example. I mean, he's on a one-year contract. Um, he's probably not gonna be back next year. Gets eighteen million dollars. He's an all star, great hitter. All right, you could probably get some good guys from him.
2: Yeah. I, I'd give you I'd give you but um, about it,
1: though.
2: we're we're closer to last year than we are to to selling out, I think. Uh, two and a half games. Uh, I think we gotta go sixty
1: two percent. Okay, at what point in time, let's say let's say two weeks from now, okay, you're coming up to the all star game and they're still at or below five hundred? Let's say they don't go on a roll for the next two weeks. At that point in time, do you become sellers, or do you just ride it out?
2: Yeah, you know, you're closer to becoming sellers. But also you got to remember, the National League Central is not very strong. So whatever team wins this year, probably is going to lose in the first round of the playoffs. I mean,
1: uh, yeah.
2: I think the Badgers are going to be yeah. the National League representatives.
1: Well, oh, talk. right. Oh, no, I I mean, I agree. I guess I mean, thanks to the call. I guess that, that's kind of my point, Paul, that – This team isn't close to being the Dodgers. They're they're just not. And and so then the question to me becomes, all right, if if this is the standard, it's like, like, how do we, how do we beat, you know, the the Dodgers? And is the team as presently constituted, is that going to be competitive next year with with the Dodgers? And my answer would be no, which is why I, I think you have to start You know, looking at potential changes. Mike on the South Side. Hi, Mike. You're on WTMJ.
3: Hey, first time ever on with you. I really appreciate it. Sure. Uh, Real quick, the Dodgers lost last year. They didn't win the World Series.
1: No, but they made the World Series. They beat the Brewers. They made the World Series. And this year they have one of the best records in baseball.
3: Great. Uh, The only only value I see out there is Ryan Braun. He's got the injuries, the contract. He's not, he do not play a lot of games. Anyone contending. He's a great bat off the bench. He's veteran leadership. Travis Shaw, Aguilar, yeah. you're not gonna get nothing for him. Maybe a, a, a change of scenery. Uh, any team willing to take that chance? Good luck. And they have no pitchers to trade. Um,
1: well, I you never know. I mean, right? I mean, to me, the untouchables yeah. on the pitching staff would be Woodruff, Davies, and Hader. Um, you know, maybe Peralta, if you thought, you know, that he had some potential, but yeah, if you guys, if if Claudio or somebody would take Albers off your hand because right, they were right. looking I for an experience, that, yeah. Yeah, right, right, I'm, and I, and I'm not, I'm not, I think, I mean, actually, this might be heresy, and and Ryan Braun is probably impossible to trade. He makes what twenty some million dollars. And he's you know hitting two seventy. He's still a right, serviceable right, player, yeah. but he's not a superstar. But yeah, I agree. If you got if you got a great offer for I Braun, know, and know he know would go.
3: Comes, I mean, bringing Braun back next year, it, it's going to go nowhere. Yeah. And I really appreciate being on for the first time. You got
1: it, Mike. Well, you're very welcome, and thanks for calling four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. I guess. And look, and this is from the perspective of fan, and I, I think sometimes people that make management decisions say oh if we if we start making changes the fans are going to get upset no i mean i, I think one of the things that we've seen in milwaukee is 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 we we've increased our expectations and we've seen what uh, you know can happen with a small market team we've also seen how how fragile that that is and i don't fault management i mean i understand what they did they thought okay we're going to bring back Lustakas, we're going to We'll add grandell and then what we'll do is, you know, we'll we'll count on our young pitchers developing and getting better. And by and large, and you know, it, it hasn't worked. It, it just that that's just the reality. And yes, I understand that it's only the middle of July. I understand that they can go on a tear and go forty two and twenty five. That's what they would have to do, winning sixty two percent of their games and they could win the National League Central. I I that's ninety wins. I I, I agree, they they could do that. I'm just saying as somebody who listens to all the games and watches the games and goes to a whole bunch of them, I, does anybody realistically think that that's going to happen? I mean, seriously? This is, it's just, it, it's a team, the pitching just flank, frankly isn't good enough, and a lot of the players that they were counting on have had forgettable seasons. And yeah, you know, maybe tonight's a different night, and maybe they'll go on a roll and win 10 or 12 games, and then you can... Each one of you who's shaking your head when you're listening to me, you can call me up or send me a text or send me an email saying, ha, you wanted to bail on, you wanted to be a seller on July 17th, don't you look silly, keep talking about politics and current events and stay away from sports. And you know what? Nobody will be happier than me to get those particular emails, because like I say, nobody would be happier than me to see the Brewers go out on a streak where they win, I don't know, 14 out of the next 15 games. Do I think it's likely to happen? No, because I live in this thing called, what's that we call it? Oh, yes, the real world. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: You're listening to Jeff Wagner on
1: WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right, let us have the conversation. We've been there before. Do we need to go back? Now, first of all, kudos to my producer Gru, and I because I, I said, Okay, why is July why is July sixteenth important in American history? And he said didn't know. And I said, Okay, and I did kinda of sandbag you in a way because I said, All right, if I had said July sixteenth, nineteen sixty nine, would that have changed it? And the reason I didn't is I thought that would make it obvious, kinda of tip off, because we're getting all this attention about the space flight, but to his credit, he said, No, it wouldn't have made any difference. And and I understand why, because that was fifty years ago. Now, let me see a show of hands, all right? if if you were of a certain age you probably had to be maybe at least 4 years old you know 4 or 5 years old you know in 1969 but but if you were that age you remember where you were right when when neil armstrong walked on the moon i mean i I certainly do. We were. Um, my parents were from Maryland, and we lived in Wisconsin. And we were. I was probably like about twelve then. And we were on vacation. Yeah, you know, we were driving back to to Maryland, as a matter of fact. And we were at a we were at a Holiday Inn or something like that, a hotel in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And and we we sat and we watched. We watched the moon landing, you know, and it was the grainy black and white pictures and stuff. But but everybody watched the moon landing. So if you were alive in 1969, you remember where you were. Just like if you were of a certain age in 1963, you remember where you were when you learned that President Kennedy was assassinated. Just like I think for most of us, we remember where we were on September 11th, 2001. So it it was an important and it was an impactful event. Now, here's the history of, of how we got there. In the 50s and the 60s, the U.S. and Russia were in the middle of a massive conflict, the Cold War, right? And, and the big concern was that those – when I was a kid, we used to have, like, bomb drills. I mean, they, they would take you out of class, and they would move you, I, I mean, I can remember this, third and fourth grade, they'd move you down into, like, the, the shop classes where they had the big wooden tables, and they'd have you get on your hands and knees and, like, like put your head down and cover them up under the shop table. And and I was kind of a wise you-know-what, even at the time. So I'm, like, in third or fourth grade. And I, my my thing was, if a nuclear bomb drops – I mean, just being under the shop table, is that going to protect me? And then the teachers would say, shut up, you know, and, and, and I, so I was always kind of one of those sort of cynics to begin with, which maybe set me up for my later career. But we were in the middle of the Cold War, and, you know, you had had, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1961. I really don't remember that. That's a little bit before my time. But, you know, there there was all this concern, and the big fear in the early 1960s was that, Russia was going to get control of space and you'd be we'd be living under a Russian moon and Russia could use, I don't know, space to threaten us. And as a matter of fact, the, the concern got worse because Russia put the first unmanned satellite into orbit I want to say 61, but it was right around that time. And it created this huge panic. So now you have this Russian satellite that's circling the Earth. My God, what sort of weapons are they going to put on it? And it's where, you know, President Kennedy, I, I think... In, for a variety of reasons, but but fueled largely by Cold War concerns, I believe, you know, he said, OK, look, th- this is it. We are setting this goal. You know, we are going to be going to the moon and we're going to go to the moon by the end of this decade. And, and that was quite a gauntlet to, to throw down. When you consider that, you know, we'd only had airplanes since, you know, the early part of the 1900s. And then, you know, 50 years later, you know, you have a president saying we're, we're going to go to the moon. But you had this huge amount of resources that were devoted to to Going to the moon and you had like the Gemini program then you had the Apollo program and you had all the various flights and there were stops and starts along the way a couple astronauts tragically lost their life in a a huge fire that that broke out in one of the uh, spacecraft but you know ultimately we we got to the point where we did in fact go to the moon and you had a handful of of moon landings after Apollo 11. But essentially, you know, we, we haven't been back to the moon since, I mean, the early 1970s. We did it. We went there. We've come back. And because the space program is so expensive and because there are people that say, okay, we, we've been there. We know what's up there. Why bother going back? And the demand for resources and things like that. We, we've kind of, We've kind of put this on hold. There's been stops and starts. Well, now President Trump and Vice President uh, Pence say, you know, we want to go back and we want to have the government go back. And so right now what they're doing is they're at least moving towards funding for a a program called Artemis, which is the the new Apollo. It's a five-year program to return astronauts to the moon. The estimates are... Tens of billions of dollars to do this, but the goal is get back onto the moon by 2024, which would be five years from now. On the one hand, given the fact that we've already been there, you would think that you would be able to replicate the technology to do that. But the question becomes, is there really a will to do it? Do we want to spend tens of billions of dollars to go back? Is there a value to going back, especially now when you have certain private companies that are already looking at, you know, going out to space themselves? All right, let's open up the phone lines and tee this up. And I really want to have a conversation. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you want to see this country... Commit all the resources that are going to be necessary, and we're talking about tens of billions of dollars, to go back to where we were in 1969. Is it important to go back to the moon? Are there other resources? If we're going to have a space program, does it make more sense to try to look beyond the moon, or is this just a waste of money, period? 414-799-1620, that's the accident mortgage talk and text line. Fifty years ago this week, the entire world was mesmerized by what happened, but that was 50 years ago. Do we go back? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. if you're on the line, please hold on. We'll talk about it in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Back
0: to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: This is going to be an interesting conversation. Our, our text line has exploded, and it's split about 50-50, ranging from things like, Mitch texts, what is our mission to the moon supposed to accomplish this time? You know, Mike says, the first step to exploring the solar system is develop moon-based raw material processing and in-orbit dockyards. We need to colonize the moon so we can go on to colonize Mars. Huh. Um, let's see. Jeff says, um, I'm puzzled about is with all the advances in technology and what we've learned about space and rocket science in years since '69, you would think it would be a lot easier to go back to the moon today. After all, the first time the entire NASA computer system at the time was less powerful than the computing power of a smartphone these days. Absolutely. All right. Let's start with Jeremy and Racine. Jeremy, you're first. Good afternoon.
4: Hey, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Jeremy. Um, I'm, I'm all for it. I, uh, I know. It's going to cost a lot of money, but uh, one of your texts already mentioned uh, using the moon as a base launching pad for further exploration Mm -hmm. to Mars and things like that. It takes a lot less thrust, uh, a lot less resources to do so. So I think that's kind of like the general direction in which they want to start moving forward.
1: Why do you think it's important to go on to Mars?
4: Well, I don't know about Mars being important, but I do know that from, from the conversations I hear on some science talk, mm-hmm. uh, radio shows and stuff like that, there are resources that are available on the moon that we could utilize to lower the cost. It's the initial cost getting there, but once we're there, it's going to dramatically reduce the cost for further exploration because it's going to keep going on no matter what. People are not going to stop. It's just um, it's just a matter of a, a better launch pad for future exploration.
1: Okay. No. Th- thanks for calling. Now, and <clears throat> I mean, right. And that, that's one of the arguments you hear that if you if you establish bases on the moon or orbiting platforms or whatever, it becomes easier to go elsewhere. I guess th- that that begs the question, though, of okay, why why do we want to go elsewhere? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not taking a position on that. I just raised that issue. Paula in Racine. Paula, you're on WTMJ.
5: Hi, Jeff. Thank you. Um, I was telling the gentleman that answered. Mm -hmm. I graduated from high school two months before this happened. Okay. So it's been a while. Um, But I remember we all sat around glued to the big console, black and white, in the family room, you know, and watched watched everything that was (laughs) happening because it was just it was mind-boggling. Yeah, you could, you're right. You, I fun. mean,
1: I remember you couldn't believe it, that, that, okay, these are pictures that are coming back from the moon. Yeah, absolutely. I
5: know. I know. And it, it just, I mean, everybody was watching. It wasn't a certain a certain group of people. Everybody was glued. But I don't know that now that we really need to do it again. I, I mean, people say, well, you know, there's all these kinds of reasons, but they don't give you anything concrete. Mm-hmm. To think Mm -hmm. about. And I guess, you know, as I get older, I got to have more out there in front of me to say, let's do this because fill in the blank.
1: Right. And, you know, and one of the things that happened, a lot of a lot of the technology that we take for granted today, including. I'm holding my smartphone in my hand right now. Yes. I mean, that 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 came from, you know, in many respects, it came from technology that was developed back in the 60s, you know, to put a man on the moon. So mm-hmm. we, we certainly accomplished a lot. But I guess I, I understand what you're saying. All right. Yes, we did it. If we go back again, what's the new stuff that we're going to learn? Yeah. Right. Okay. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 414-799-1620. Interesting debate. Let's talk to Pete in Milwaukee. Pete, you're on WTMJ.
2: Yeah, you were just saying a bunch of the things. I know that technology, we came up with so many new things uh, because of needing to go, wanting to go to the moon back in the 60s. And you had to come up with this new technology. Now, my question is, what are we going to try to what do we need to develop in terms of new technology to go again? Right. Um, that's my big question. And if somebody could tell me, well, we're going to be, this is going to be developed or we're going to have to develop this and this and this. Well, okay, that's going to improve life back here on earth. Okay. Well, I can see just like you're talking about, you've got your cell phone now. Right. Who would have, would have ever had anything like that had we not? Uh, I did this position when I was an exchange student years ago, living in Europe and, People were saying, well, yeah, space program, you guys in the United States are wasting all this money on the space program. And I said, whoa, 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 hold on a second. Right. You know, everything that we got here in our classroom, in our school, you wouldn't have half of that stuff if not for the American space program and right. uh, some of the technology that was needed to be created at that time
1: now i have a text here that says think of all the engineering accomplishments that came out of the space race in the 60s right Mm -hmm. imagine what could be developed now and i guess that's part of my problem i don't know what could be developed now you know and, and maybe maybe that's just my lack of vision because yeah i mean just like you i can see that we there was incredible technological boosts and gains that really affect our everyday lives that came out of the space race back in the sixties. But I, I don't know what there is to, to gain.
2: Yeah, we don't know what there's gonna be. So that's that's the great unknown. Right. Um, we could we could start on this project and find out wow we can do this and we can do this now.
1: Right. Okay. I no see I think I mean thanks for that. see I think you're I think you're right. And and this see I think this is something that needs to be sold to the American people and by that i mean look, i'm not against trying to go back to the moon but I, I think what i still have to see is okay what what are going to be the advantage of it i understand why we were committed in 19 in the 1960s to do it that's why i did my little like history primer on the the whole the cold war and that type of stuff and it's not that i discount the space program because i again there's all these different accomplishments and there's all these different things that came from it and and is it possible that by going back to the moon we, we you know use the new technology and we develop all sorts of things and and i can see that it's possible i mean i don't know what i don't know but i think that's where we we really we have to the american public has to be sold on okay these are the concrete advantages of of doing this or yeah we, we want to go on to mars you know we want to keep exploring. okay well what's the concrete advantage of, of that how is that going to make our life better that's, I think, the, the challenge that you have to have. Let's talk to Mike in Waukesha. Mike, you're on WTMJ.
3: Yeah. Hi, Mike. My opinion is this. Yeah, hi. My, my opinion is this. We were already. I don't really recall 10 things that we benefited from.
2: Oh,
3: well, sure. But we already had the computers. And and whatnot that we use today, you know, you know, today's better th- technology, of course, but mainly five things, Mark, Jeff, what is better that 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 we did, you know. Uh,
1: what like, what are what are things that came out of it? You mean what are things that came out of the the moon program that we use today? Yeah. Okay, no, thanks for that. that. That that's a fair enough challenge. I will deal with that in in just a couple moments. I, uh, I but cuz cuz look, I I don't think there's any question you can argue that that the technology and the things that were developed as a result of the Apollo program have really improved the quality of our life overall. The question becomes what else is out there? And, and that's where I think the discussion needs to land. And again, if you're over a certain age, if you're probably 55 or older, just think back on where you were when we first walked on the moon. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is The Jeff Wagner Show. And now,
1: here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, you, you ever have, have you ever had Tang?
6: Oh yeah, long time ago when I was a kid. Long
1: time ago, <laughs> Brew. You ever had Tang? Yeah, same story. Same long time ago. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, right before the break, one of the callers said, "Okay, name name me five things that came out of the space program," and um, I, I will do that j- in just a second. But of course, I'm getting all these texts. Well, what about Tang? Tang now, Tang, of course, Tang wasn't developed for the astronauts. So the story is Tang, and if Tang is this. I think it's nasty, but that's just my own. Perspective. I, agree, I, agree, I I mean, yeah. I think it's nasty, <clears throat> but Tang is this powdered kind of as i recall and i i haven't had orange tang, orange right mm-hmm. yeah i mean th- this sort of like powdered drink and you, you you mix water with it and it's got just a ton of calories and a ton of sugar in it and you know you, you mix it and it's it's kind of like kool-aid or, or something like that i guess and tang Actually, people think that it was developed for the, the space program, and it wasn't. Tang was actually first marketed in 1959. What happened was, um, NASA used it on John Glenn's Mercury flight in February of 62. John Glenn was the first guy that orbited the Earth, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and then and then they used it on subsequent Gemini missions, and so this was this huge marketing thing, and sales of Tang took off. Oh, because, for sure, oh, right? This is what the astronauts well, John drink Glenn and, drinks it. Then right, I want right, to drink e- it exactly, and so it, it's always been closely associated with the manned space program, but it. Tang was not created for for the space program. So I am going to list a couple things or several things that, that we gained out of the space program, but it really wasn't Tang. Tang Tang was there beforehand. Tang just kind of convinced them to send it up with John Glenn. Actually Buzz Aldrin, who was one of the uh one of the people, one of the astronauts on Apollo eleven, his big comment was Tang sucks. <laughs> <You> know, <so. laughs> I think he was right with that. <laughs> well, okay. All right, so let's forget Tang. But the last caller before the break, and, you know, he did challenge me, and he said, okay, well, we'll we'll name five things that came out of of the space program. Now, don't get me wrong. I I think it's fair to have, if we're talking about spending tens of billions of dollars to go back to where we've been, I think it's fair to have a discussion about, like, a cost-benefit analysis. What do we think we're going to learn from this? And, again, I also understand that sometimes you don't know You know, if you develop new technology or whatever, you don't know where that technology is going to lead. But to address the quest just in portion and apart that, you know, what did we gain out of the the space program? Well, it starts out, I mean, with microprocessors and microchips. You know, this is... Without the space program, we wouldn't have microchips, and if we didn't have microchips, we wouldn't have cell phones, and we we wouldn't have, you know, all the technology that we have now. That's probably, I would say, arguably the the, the greatest one. Um, CAT scans. The cancer technology, the CAT scans, first used to find imperfections in space components. Cordless tools. Now, that's a little bit controversial because some people say Black & Decker was making them before the space program, but NASA certainly refined cordless tools so they could use them to drill on the the moon for moon samples. The ear thermometer, freeze-dried food, insulation. Home insulation uses reflective material that protects the spacecraft from radiation. That was developed as part of the space program. Joysticks. You know, that was first used on the Apollo Lunar Rover. That's where joysticks then started. And then, of course, you know, everybody that's got a gaming thing, you know, has that. Um, scratch-resistant lenses. You know, if you've got the glasses that have that scratch-resistant stuff on it, it's it's because astronaut helming vi- helmet visor coating. They, they developed that technology to make it scratch resistant. Um, you know, it, it goes on and on. Smoke detectors. NASA invented the first adjustable smoke detector with sensitivity levels. They had smoke detectors before, but not that. Um, the software for retail credit card swipes. Um, light cooled garments used by firefighters and, um, race car drivers that was developed for the program heart monitors, solar panels that many of you have up on your homes aircraft de-icing systems and one of the ones that I thought was interesting was improved radial tires. wait, wait a minute how what, what <clears throat> how, how, how does how do tires relate to the space program? Well, it's kind of interesting because what happened is Goodyear was tasked with making the parachute, that would um, deal with the lunar landing you know that that the parachute for the the lunar landing craft that was coming down, and what they had to do is they had to develop you know the, this super tough form of of like shroud you know that would hold open the parachute and and they did and then what they found is, hey, we can take this stuff and we can incorporate it into tires, and it can be better so i mean it, I don't want anybody to think that just because I'm skeptical of the value of going back to the moon that I'm some sort of flat earther that doesn't recognize that there was an incredible amount of progress and a lot of the stuff that we take for granted today comes from the moon landing. All right. Let us completely and totally switch gears. Had a conversation yesterday with a friend of mine. And, And my friend is one of these people that leans Republican, but has been known to vote for Democrats from time to time. And we were discussing the latest flap controversy, you name it, that is now the the talk du jour of of every talking head show the the racist comments by made by President Trump. Now of course it is interesting the way this all gets spelled out. The media has decided that what Donald Trump said was was racist. So that's the story. These are racist. It's not alleged racist or remarks that some people would determine and interpret to be racist. This these are racist remarks. That that's how the media has decided. But anyway, my friend was saying to me, well, th- this has got to be the last straw there's no way in the world after this that anybody could vote for Donald Trump and while the last damn thing in the world I wanted to do yesterday afternoon was to get into a political discussion slash argument with somebody I know and like I just sat there and I counted the three and then I jumped in and I said yeah I, I, I can I said look I might vote for Donald Trump to which I got, well, how could you vote for this racist, xenophobic clown, blah, blah 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 And those were just some of the things I could repeat on the radio. And I said, well, look, here's the deal. I have always been put off by Donald Trump's personality. I have said that since the beginning. He wasn't my choice to be the Republican nominee, you know, three and a half years ago. I couldn't stand him on The Apprentice. I couldn't stand him on The Celebrity Apprentice. I couldn't stand him when he owned the team for the United States Football League. I just, I don't, I, there's nothing about Donald Trump's personality, nothing at all that I find appealing. It, it's just, it's just not. I find him to be off-putting. I find him to be offensive. I would not want to have him as a friend, period. Okay, I concede all that. I, I hate the the, the constant tweeting. I hate the punching down. I hate the fact that he just feels that he has to engage with everyone. And I hate his what I think are lousy political instincts. As I said yesterday, last week was a great week for President Trump. He the, the economy's going great, he's winning in all these different issues. You have the Democrats that would form the circular firing squad where you have the these far left congresswomen They're they're trying to pee on Nancy Pelosi. She's fighting back. You've got this split between the moderate Democrats and the kooky left – All right. All Trump has to do is sit back and keep his mouth shut and watch this go. And he can't help himself. On Sunday morning, he takes to Twitter and he sends out tweets that I don't know if they're racist or not. I don't know what the man's intent was, but the way he phrases these things certainly leaves him open to being criticized for making racist remarks. They should go back to where they came from. Oh, for the love of God. You know, I mean. There's all sorts of things. If you decided you wanted to jump into this, you know, wedding match, you, 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 for whatever reasons, you could have done it. But you could have done it in a way that didn't invite all this criticism. Oh, you're racist, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, I, I mean, I, I said oh So I'm, I'm telling my friend this, and he says, "Well, okay. Well, if if you say you don't like him, how could you possibly vote for him?" And I said, "It's because." Have you seen some of the people that are running against him? Did you watch any of those Democratic debates? You have some Democrats who are running for president who are what I would consider to be mainstream, center-left politicians who, yeah, they, they'd move the country if they got their way, they'd move the country further left than I would probably choose, but but at least they're in this, this main mainstream of this. And then you've got... A lot of these people out there, the Elizabeth Warrens, the Bernie Sanders, the Camilla Harrises, and I I go on and on, who are just flat-out kooks. And there's just no way to describe this. And this is the far left. These are the people that are talking about, let's have open borders. And these are the people that are saying, let's blow up our health care system and get rid of the million jobs for the people who work in the private health insurance industry, and let's go to socialized medicine. Did I mention open borders and socialized medicine? And then on top of that, what we want to do is we want to forgive all the student loans, and we'll figure out how to pay for that. And it goes on and on and on and on. And I said, yeah. I, I said, look, I, I find the president to be off-putting, okay? I, I hate the chaos. I hate the disorder. I'm a kind of no-drama sort of guy, and I wish doing what I do for a living, we could be talking about substantive issues as opposed to, well, you know, was this racist or not? Or why aren't more Republicans denouncing it or whatever? But I said, yeah, I mean, given, you know, where President Trump is on politics and on policies, yeah, if the Democrats nominate one of these kooky lefties, in my opinion, yes, I will be voting for President Trump, to which I got a harumph. 414-799-1620. That's the AccuNet mortgage talk and text line. All right. Let's tee this up. All right. Can you envision a scenario under which you would vote for President Trump again? And my answer is, yeah, it's easy. You nominate somebody whose policies are way, 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 way to the left. And I look at and I say, okay. well, right now we are living in times of relative peace and prosperity. And I you know, I I don't know how long that can continue, and I don't know that it's fair to give President Trump all the credit for that, but it is that peace, prosperity, unemployment at record lows. Do we have economic issues? Sure. Do we have issues with health care? Sure. But I don't want to blow up the American systems on all these different levels, and if there's people that are running as much as I find President Trump distasteful and as much as I don't like the chaos creating, you, you bet if my choice is, four more years of chaos but good economic news and relative peace and prosperity or we're going to upend the american system yeah i'm 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 going to live with the chaos 414-799-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line we discuss in just a moment if you're on the line please hold on
0: back for more here's
1: wtmj's jeff wagner 414-799-1620. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Like I say, I, a friend of mine said, "There's no way you could vote for Donald Trump after these latest comments." I said, "Sure." I said, "Look, I'm not going to defend. I'm not going to defend Trump's behavior. I'm not going to defend his comments. I, I I haven't liked Donald Trump on a personal level since since I became aware of Donald Trump. But again, it all depends on what the choice is. And if the choice is four more years of President Trump, or Four more years of four years of somebody who wants to completely and totally turn the American economic system and American social life upside down. Yeah, Trump is the superior alternative. Judy in Greenfield. Judy, you're on WTMJ.
5: Um, I agree with you. and I'll even go one step further. I will say that of the whole Democratic field that I see a viable candidate, Trump is the option. I plug my nose and voted for him because of the Supreme Court justice nomination. I haven't liked a lot of the things he said, but he's always taken in the worst possible light. Mm-hmm. Always given no, no shadow of a doubt on anything. He's always the villain.
1: But and at the same time, would you concede with me, Judy, that he brings a lot of it on himself?
5: Absolutely.
1: Okay. Fair, Yeah.
5: <laughs> absolutely, but there's no way I wouldn't be voting for him again, okay. with less nose plugs than the first time. And my
1: closest friends
5: agree with me so
1: okay i could introduce you to some of my friends there you go thanks thanks nicole well i I mean i have friends that are all across the board i have some very conservative friends and some big trump supporters who cringe when i'm not on the bandwagon as much as they think that i should be and then i have other friends who are i can't believe that you could even say that you would consider voting for him 414-799-1620 let's talk to dan on the south side hi dan
3: hey Uh, jeff how are you doing good well, I agree with you 100%. I won't I vote for Trump, and I won't for it. There's only one person, Biden, I, I see more, and more reasonable. My question to you, as you have stated, you like some things that Trump does, he you know, a lot of other things. As a hard, tough Republican, would you vote for Biden?
1: I would consider voting for Joe Biden. And that's, I mean, I I would think about it, and I understand there's people that are yelling at the radio now, but I would think about it. Now, thanks to and I'm I'm not I'm not committing to that, but but Joe Biden, I I will tell you from a perspective, from a conservative perspective here, and and see, I think the Democrats are gonna, I think I think that they're gonna turn on Joe Biden, because because he's not, he, he's the wrong gender, he's too old. I'm not saying this, but I think this is what some people think. He's of that past generation. He needs to move out of the way and he's nowhere near liberal enough. Joe Biden, I think, falls into that general category of that center left Democrat, but still in, in the mainstream. Joe Biden isn't going to say Medicare for all. He's just not going to do that. Joe Biden isn't going to say open borders because he knows that that's crazy. He's not going to do a lot of that stuff. So Biden does not scare me like an Elizabeth Warren or a Bernie Sanders scares me. So yeah, that, that is, I, I mean, and I think there's a lot of Republicans who would consider voting for somebody like Biden or a lot of independents. And that's I mean, that's going to be one of the fascinating things that's going to play out in the Democratic primary over the course of the next year. And we're going to see it wrap up, you know, a year from now in Milwaukee, which is, you know, are the Democrats going to just go headlong over this cliff racing to the left or is electability going to be a concern? Let's talk to Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I'm going to vote
2: for Trump again, uh, except for Biden. The Democrats are all kooks. You know, and they're not telling you how much you're going to have to pay if they get their programs no. through, like, six, 7000 extra out of your taxes. Oh, at least. And at least. One I mean... more thing is I don't understand. In the past, they made all the presidents give up their phones. And I remember Obama had, a, like, a BlackBerry. He had to give it up. He wasn't happy. How come they're not doing that with
1: Trump? Um, thanks. Well, I, I, I mean, my advice, wouldn't you love to have the chief of staff? And I'm sure Reince Priebus, who I, I knew back in the day, I'm sure when he was the chief of staff, he woke up every morning saying, I wish I could go in there and just take that damn phone out of this guy's hand. So he, he can't tweet. But I, I mean, I just raised this as a point. I don't, I don't know how this is all going to play out, but I, I think it is very, very fluid. And for people who say, well, there's no way I could vote for President Trump. Uh, all right. Well, I mean, you, you want to consider the alternative that that may be out there. Now, again, I don't know who the Democrats are going to nominate. Keep in mind that I and look, I thought Hillary Clinton was going to win. I was I'm in that category of people who didn't see the Trump victory coming. But in retrospect, I, I firmly believe that that back then Trump's victory was less a gee we want Donald Trump and more a repudiation of people didn't like Hillary Clinton. All right? This is kind of a different dynamic that's out there. And if you have a more mainstream candidate than a number of the choices, yeah, I, I think I think President Trump's gonna have a tough re election bid. If and I don't care what the polls say now, you know, if if the alternative, you know, it turns out to be like a socialist like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren with all these crazy ideas. I think once mainstream America, even if they find President Trump to be off putting, once mainstream America finds out where these people are, I think, you know, many of them who are not thrilled with Donald Trump's demeanor or personality or all this other stuff, they're going to hold their nose and they're going to vote for Trump again. Just my analysis.
0: You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: I was trying to think this through. I got out of college in three and a half years. Came back and I, I worked for like nine months before I went to law school. And I think from from that point in time on, so that would have made me twenty one ish, twenty two, right in there. After I got out of college, I. I was, I was financially independent, which isn't to say that, I mean, I, I paid for my apartment, I paid for my rent, which isn't to say that there might not have been a point in time or two here or there, where my father or mother might have slipped me a hundred bucks or something like that. But, but by and large, after I got out of college, even though I was in law school, I mean, I worked the whole time I was through law sc- in law school and things like that, and I, I was financially independent. So I think it would be fair to say like, like 21. I bring this up because there is a new study that, that is out. And it's this survey of, of people and their parents. And it's by Ameritrade, which is one of the big financial services company. And this is, there's a generation gap that is developing. About 20%, one-fifth of millennials expect to be financially reliant onto their, in, on their parents into their 30s, into their 30s. The vast majority of parents say they think it's embarrassing for kids to expect to stay on their payroll past the age of 27. So that's kind of the, the, the magic. 27, at least in the survey, appears to be the magic number. The idea being, okay, after the kid hits 27, it's, it's embarrassing to expect you know mom and dad to help pay the freight. Meanwhile, you've got a large number of the millennials who are answering the survey saying, oh, no, we expect to be financially reliant on on mom and dad well into our, our 30s. And, of course, the arguments are the same ones we hear a, a lot. It's, well, okay, there's they're student loan debt and, you know, people come out and they end up being underemployed. They can't find jobs in this or that or the other thing. So, you know, they have no choice but to rely on their parents. All right. I thought this would make for an interesting discussion. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. At what point in time is it appropriate or necessary to to cut the cord and say, okay, the, the gravy train that is mom and dad, it, it, it's ended. Now, I, I understand that there might always be that, Unusual or extraordinary circumstance where, okay, you know, you've got the the thirty year old kid who's had some sudden reverse or something and's lost their job or or you know whatever, and they might need to move back home for a little bit of time or whatever while they get their feet back on the ground. But that's not really what this is talking about. This is kind of talking about people who just kind of expect that, hey, you know, we're, we're going to hang out on, on mom and dad. All right. Is there, and of course, from parents' perspective, you brought kids into this world and you have an obligation to do your best for them. Is there a point, though, where, I don't know, the kids become moochers? Four one four seven nine is the accident mortgage talk and text line. At what point in time is it appropriate to expect adult children to be financially independent um, and, and, again, to, to just make it on their own. And, of course, everybody understands that maybe somebody needs a little bit of help every once in a while. But in general, when do you expect your kids to be financially independent? 414-799-1620. Or if you're in your 30s, do you think it's perfectly appropriate for you to continue to be on the mom and dad dole? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, our number, 414-799-1620. That's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line.
0: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on
1: WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, At, at what point in time is there an age, mom and dad, where you think it is reasonable to expect your adult kids... To be off the family dole and to be not financially reliant on you. I I bring this up because there's this new survey out that says that um, one-fifth, 20% of millennials expect to be financially reliant on their parents into their 30s. Most parents say it's embarrassing for kids to stay on their payroll past the age of 27. I I can't, I I guess I can't conceive uh, of of this, and maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a generational type of thing or, or whatever, but, I mean, my parents helped me get my education and I hope they helped underwrite the cost of that and I very much appreciate it, but at the same time, I, I again, obviously there might be a time when you slip the kid a hundred bucks or something like that or fifty dollars or whatever, and there might be a situation where you, there, there's an emergency and, and you have to take care of something, but the idea of being financially reliant on your parents into your mid to late twenties, I, I just I, much less your thirties. I I can't I can't believe it. I can't believe that parents would put up with something like that. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the iConnect Mortgage Talk and Text line. Jeff, I'm thirty five years old. I can't imagine feeling good about myself if I were financially dependent on my parents into my late twenties. Adult children need to make it on their own in general. Once you start college, aside from possibly Tuition, um, yes. Jeff, if this trend continues, it's going to make fundamental shifts in the age demographics and consumer economies of the United States, where the delayed formation of new households and coupling and having children result in an aging population, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, yeah, I think there's something about that as well. Jeff, only a leftist would expect their parents to continue paying their way beyond the age of 25 or 26. Kids need to be on their own by that age. Four one four seven nine nine one six Twenty. Okay. At what point in time is it appropriate, again, outside an emergency situation, to expect your kids to be financially independent? Tom in Menominee Falls. Hi, Tom. You're on WTMJ.
7: Hi. Thanks for taking the call. Yeah. Uh, like I mentioned to the guy that answered the phone before, I when the children finish high school or college, whichever, if they go finish high school, they do not want to go to college, and I ex- would expect them to get a job. And if they're still living at home, pay, pay some rent, right. but otherwise get on their own.
1: <laughs> so, the, so the gravy train runs out once they've gone through school, however far that might be.
7: That's correct. They, when they decide they don't want to do something, then they, they've got to get on their own. Well, parents do not have to support their children for the rest of their lives.
1: Um, well well Dad, don't you understand that I'm having trouble finding a job and you know I, I, I've got car repairs and I've got all these different things. you know come on, Dad, I, I need some bucks.
7: Well, I'll tell you about the car repairs uh, you no, don't need to drive if you can't afford to repair your car. <laughs> and let me take you down to the unemployment office. And we'll
1: talk to the people and see what we can do for you. Fair enough. Thanks for the call, Tom. 414-799-1620. Again, I I just – and look, okay, maybe I'm not the best one to be talking about this because, I I mean, I got a college degree in business. I got a law degree. You know, I I was working at – decent jobs and things like that. And I understand that might be an atypical sort of situation, but it, it would never have occurred to me. It just wouldn't have occurred to me beyond parents' dole. My late wife, um, she, you know, she grew up in a sort of, middle to lower middle class family both her parents worked i mean she was on her own at the age of 18 you know she put herself through uwm she put herself through law school and scholarships and working multiple jobs and you know student loans and things like that It, it mean there there it just wouldn't have occurred to her once she hit the age of 18 to take money from mom and dad cynthia in bayview cynthia you're on wtmj
8: Hi, Jeff, it's Cynthia. Hi. I'm 70, and um, I left home at 18, and I was expected to be on my own by that time. And I I wouldn't think any differently. And then when I had my son, I did help him through undergraduate school. Sure. But once he wanted to go on and get two master's degrees, he was on his own. So he had to work hard all summer, save the money beforehand to pay for his tuition, and then pay for his tuition. He never had any student debt to his credit but I mean now he's very successful he's a middle school orchestra teacher he loves his job he loves his life and um, I just think that kids have to be responsible I mean mm-hmm. how can they be adults
1: right so you you weren't you, you weren't planning on writing checks and supporting his lifestyle well into his 30s huh
8: no I was not <laughs> no but I gotta say I did give him a car when oh. I was in a trade in my car it was such a, a a low amount they were gonna give me that I did give him sure. my car. And then it was up to him to get it insured and take care of it after that. And I just felt like I did not want him to be an entitlement child.
3: Yeah. And no. i
8: so glad that I did that because he and his wife both had to pay their own way through school and they're just very happy, they have a great life. They have no debt, which I think is wonderful. <laughs>
1: Right. And I don't think, Cynthia, keep in mind, I don't think anybody thinks there's anything wrong with, you know, mom or dad. You know, if if you've got the means to do it and there's a situation like you're talking about, Okay, the kid needs a car. You've got a car that's, you know, you're trading in. You're not going to get much money from it. Here, you can take my car. I don't think anybody would think there's anything that to me. That's not being financially dependent on your parents. That's Um, You know, mom and dad are helping me out. Well, you know, you do that. My my guess is. My guess is maybe if you've got the dough, you do that. You help your kids in the 30s and 40s and 50s and stuff like that. There, there's nothing wrong with that. This is talking about like, OK, mom and dad, I think, substantially supporting children into their 30s. And this expectation of some kids in their 30s that mom and dad are going to be there for them. Huh? Let's talk to Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? Um, well,
2: I moved out at 18. I'm I'm 60 years old, about your age or whatever, but uh, moved out at, at 18, bought my her- first house at 25, bought my second house at um, whatever, uh, 1989, whatever it would be, 30 years ago. And, uh, but, you know, truth be told, uh, I have to depend on my parents right now because I had some physical ailments and, and whatnot, and, and uh, you know, it, it hurts, but mm-hmm. my kids... You know, my kids are all in their 20s and 30s and, and whatever. I made them fly out of a nest early. Like, mm-hmm. you know what? No, I'm not, you know, I'm not. you know, you're physically able to do it. I mean, that's why eagles build, you know, nests high in the, <laughs> in the trees. So that when they throw the chicks out, they learn how to fly before they hit the ground. I mean, that's really what See, it is. See, I've just
1: now. learned something today. I didn't realize that. Is it eagles build nests high up in trees? Yeah. Oh, okay. All yeah. right.
2: They yeah. kick them out, and, and then they learn how to fly before they hit the ground.
1: Huh, hopefully, yeah, hopefully. Interesting. But
2: it's it, You know, it, it's it, there's parents now are, are so different because it's the, I want to be my kid's friend, you know, you know, my kids basically all know, they can recite the phrase, you know, well, my dad, you know, I'm, I'm not here to be loved.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, you're, right you're, you're here to help him build a better future. Now, thanks for the call. Let's talk to Jake in Oconomowoc. Hi, Jake.
9: Hey, Joe, thanks for having me in there. Sure. You're talking about, you know, college, college tuition. That's a huge, huge part. If if you, if you have your parents pay for your college, like like you did, and I want to pay for for my daughter's college, then they can be financially independent, Mm -hmm. most likely come out of college. But if you don't have that silver spoon handed to you, like I'm going to give it to my daughter, then, you know, she's going to be paying off her, her student loan 10, 15, 20, 25 years, $400, 500 mm-hmm. a month. You know, colleges, is d- depends where you go. Public school, ten, twelve thousand dollars 12000 a year. A private school, $30,000, 40000 You cannot work part-time and pay for that college education. And you cannot work full-time and go to school full-time. It's not like it used to be 30, 40 years ago. So if you're going to go to school full-time, you cannot pay for that college education on a part-time job
1: well but so okay we talk, we so, so you like, being, so I, I guess i'm, I'm kind of not following so do you think that you, you think it's reasonable to expect kids to have mom and dad de- to be financially dependent on mom and dad well after they're out of school like in, into their 30s no
9: no my point is that they were fun they, they still are because mom and dad paid for their college mm-hmm. like you did because like i'm gonna pay for my daughter they are financially dependent on their parents because if they didn't have received that zero hmm. percent interest, here's a big gift I'm paying for your college. I am now saving you four or five hundred dollars yeah. a month for the next ten, twenty years. boom, they are dependent they, they are still sucking on that teat
1: well but but um, but they're presumably and I, I mean, thanks I for, rather, but but no, but, presu- but presumably we're talking about Jeff, kids Jeff. that are in their 20s. You know, I'm, th- we're yeah. talking about their third. Yes, if, if parents have the wherewithal to pay for their kids' college education, they choose to do it. God bless them. I think that's a great gift you can do. Ten years so down the learn line, though. They to
3: become
9: financially independent. They don't learn. If someone says, I'm going to pay for your $30,000 per year college education, you don't have to work for it. You do not learn how to become financially independent. Look at the president's kids. Three out of his four kids are 100% financially dependent on the president for jobs and where
1: they live. Well, I what guess a role model. Well, but what a see, role model. but but Jake, see, I, okay, look, all right. The the idea is right. If if you can afford to pay for your kids' college education, I, I think that's a great gift that you can give, that you can give, uh, that you could give a kid. And uh, believe me, and I'm I'm kind of in that. I'm, situation now without going into too many details. But yeah, I think that that's a great gift you can have so that somebody starts out life without student debt. I mean, if you can do that, I think that's a tremendous situation to be in. But regardless of whether that happens or not, the idea that Seven eight years later, that you're in your thirties and you still expect mom and dad to be picking up the tab for you. Well, I, I again, I guess I go back to this study. I, I think yeah, embarrassing might be a word that that I would use. Again, I, I understand that there's going to be times when you know mom and dad are going to help people out, and and of course if mom and dad have the wherewithal, that that's that's great. But at some point in time, don't you have to? Pay for yourself and figure out, you know, how to adjust your lifestyle. If if your lifestyle is such that you you know, you can't afford it on what you're making or whatever, well maybe you need to adjust the lifestyle or you know, count on mom and dad forever. But the study says parents think it's embarrassing to rely for kids to rely on them after the age of twenty seven. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is The Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff
1: Wagner. Every once in a while, it's good to trust your instincts. There was a story that broke over the weekend, and I I had it down to discuss as a topic yesterday, except in the back of my mind, there was this little voice saying, Hold off on this one because there's something that doesn't seem right about it. And, well, I guess it's, for example, you know, I always, my advice to people is always trust your instincts. Well, this was good. All right, there's a story in the Journal Sentinel the other day. The headline is, a noose was found hanging in front of a black family's Brookfield home, a Facebook post says. Hmm. Okay. well, that's that's not good. The Facebook cell itself was post was on Friday posted by somebody identifying themselves as Richard Shaw, the second. This is according to the Journal Sentinel story. And I'm looking at the reproduced post. So this is what it says. So a black family recently moved into the house at the end of my block. We are the only two black families on this block and maybe in the neighborhood. This is what I found when I walked past their front yard, SMH, which means shaking my head, according to my producer group. This is Brookfield, Wisconsin on Blue Mound. Share this post. And it's a picture of what is clearly a po, a, a noose hanging from a tree. So, I mean, here, here you, and, and of course, once this thing goes up, it goes viral. Thousands and thousands of people, you know, watching this. Okay. Only one of the only two black families on the block in Brookfield, and there's this noose that's out there. Now, Part of the reason that I was a little bit skeptical about this is that when, when the Journal Sentinel goes to get a comment from the person that posted this, um, the person says, at this point, I have retained an attorney and future questions will have to be communicated with my father, who made the police report. Huh? So I'm thinking, OK, you found this, you posted it, and now you've contacted an attorney. Well, what, what exactly is, is going on there? Um, his father also said he would forward media requests to his lawyer. Okay, so now these red flags that are going off, I guess. Okay, you post this because it's this pretty sort of dramatic. You feel you feel it necessary. You found this thing. Hey, it's it's news. Oh my gosh, you know here you got this stuff that's going on. The only one of two black families on the block. Oh my gosh, is this terrible racism that's going on? And then then now you've lawyered up. It was just kind of peculiar. Uh, the mayor of the city of Brookfield. Acquaintance of mine, Steve Ponto, said he unequivocally condemns the act. No place in our community or any other community for this type of thing. Yeah, all right, so all of which is true. The the problem is the story is a lot more complex. As it turns out, this noose, which was found, is not hanging in the front of a black family's house. Instead, it's hanging in front of an Asian family's home. And um, it, it gets weirder than that. Okay, that the family was out of town, and apparently a member of the family had previously died by suicide by hanging. But police were not able to confirm if the noose was directed at a specific family or, or not. Um, now, this isn't to condone you know, hanging a noose, All right, N- Nobody's suggesting that. But it's one of these things where it- it's, a, it's, and it could very well, look, who knows who put that noose up there? A- and hopefully the investigation will determine that because anybody who put that noose up there, whether it was trying to be directed at the neighborhood or directed at this Asian family, you know, r- whoever did this, OK, d- deserves to be identified, and called out and, and punished because I don't care. This is a sick thing to do. And if instead putting this noose up in front of the House was directed at trying to, I don't know, torment some family who had gone through this, that that's that is appalling as well. Of course, it's different. You know, when you have, okay, this is a noose in front of the house of a black family, that has a whole different connotation. Under no circumstances does it make the hanging the noose right. It just means the initial Facebook post on this story was, was wrong and was questionable. And you know, maybe, just maybe, with social media around here and things like that, maybe people in their effort to try to get their 15 minutes of fame. When they find something that's inappropriate or out of place, maybe they should just wait just a little bit before posting stuff until you know they have a few more facts about it. Because again, nobody's going to endorse putting a noose up there, and and I hope the authorities completely and totally investigate this, and I hope the Brookfield police are able to figure out who it was that really put this up there, and then let's let's identify them, but. You know, especially in today's day and age where everything is so racially charged and things like that, you know, entering a post saying, okay, this is one of only two black families' houses on the block, and it's got this noose in front of it. Uh, here, please sh- – I'm shaking my head. Please share this post. And it turns out that it's not in front of a black family's house. That's, that's a big deal. And, again, nobody's condoning the noose or what it meant. Who knows? Hopefully, the authorities will conduct a complete investigation. But this was one that I I was going to do a topic on it yesterday. And just in the back of my mind, it was kind of like, I, I just I think there's something more to this. I still think there is something more to this story. And it's why I hope Brookfield police are aggressive about this. You know, when did this noose go? When exactly did the noose go up? Who saw what who saw what it looked like beforehand? Because I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope they are able to identify the person that did this. And then, you know, depending on what the motives were or whatever, then you determine what the appropriate behavior was. But this initial post that implied like a lynching of a black person, that that, that doesn't appear to be right. Now, nobody's suggesting that putting the noose up is a good idea. Um, I want to know, and I hope everybody else does, who was it that did this in the first place? And then we can figure that all out. Okay, when we come back, what were they supposed to say? Stick around. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Ooh. So very glad to have you with us. <clears throat> okay, crew, let's let's get us in the mood for my next commentary. Monorail.
0: Those things are awfully loud. It flies as softly as a cloud. Is there a chance the truck could bend? Not on your life, my Hindu friend. What about us, Brendan, slobs? You'll be given cushy jobs. Were you sent here by the devil? No good, sir. I'm on the level. The ring came off my pudding can. Take my penknife, my good man. I swear it's Springfield's only choice. Throw up your hands and raise your voice. My What's it called? My Once again.
8: all
3: cracked and broker. sorry mom the spoken monorail! Monorail! Monorail!
1: Monorail! i bring this up because today tom barrett is doing his best music man out He's selling that monorail. Oh, always selling the hop all right now when, when the numbers aren't good for the hop ridership mysteriously they disappear we don't hear them for a couple months okay so barrett 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 badly wants to have the Common Council approve extending the the hop and putting down the streetcar tracks, and we want to expand this, and and we want to get it going, and we want it to be here for the Democratic National Convention. Now, my point has been it is the height of stupidity to make massive infrastructure changes for one week. It it just – I mean, because then the convention goes away. You just look at every – you look at cities that have the Olympics, and in many cases, they turn out to be complete and total disasters because they make this huge investment in inf- infrastructure. You spend hundreds of millions of dollars. And I understand the hops, not hundreds of millions, but you, you they build all these, these amphitheaters, and all these fancy things. And the Olympics come and it's great for two weeks and they're gone. And, and, you know, I understand we've got the Democratic National Convention here, but this idea that we've got to rush to expand the hop and the streetcar lines, we've got to do this because it's got to be done before the Democratic National Convention. And we have to take advantage of these TIF districts, even if it makes no economic sense to do it. Well, uh, but but that's where we are with Tom Barrett in in Milwaukee. Now, here's here's the numbers. And he he's out today. And they, they okay Today is July six 17th, july 16th okay he he's now he says well I, i've got the numbers from two days ago so you know that when they're good he wants them out there so here's the deal when the hop was first talked about they said well we think we'll have an average daily ridership of 1850 now that daily ridership was projected with people paying for it now keep in mind we do not pay for it. The idea was you're supposed to pay for it after the first year, Pottawatomie picked up the cost. Now they're saying we may never have people pay for it. And they're saying if we have people pay for it, we realize that the ridership is going to drop dramatically when it's not just something you can hop on and ride a block and have fun with. If you have to actually have to pay for it, we understand ridership is going to drop dramatically. So, you know, we're we're now looking at keeping it completely free, which my belief is that was the plan all the time. Okay, they, they lost the numbers for hop ridership in March. April, 1,852 riders for free, which was about what they're almost on the button of what they projected the daily ridership would be in April. But again, I think that number was based on people paying. Um, May, up slightly, 1927. Again, it's free. And then in, in June, um, particularly between... In June, it was it was up to twenty one seventy five. So the average ridership was a couple hundred more than they projected. Um, but the big numbers were between June twenty sixth and July fourteenth, which would have been Sunday. And and you could tell that the mayor, they, this is what they wanted. They said, okay, during that that two week span where you had Summerfest and you had Bastille Days, and keep in mind the trolley ran right through Bastille Days, they saw, well, we averaged a, a daily average of 3,800 riders, 1,900 more than anticipated. Well, okay, yeah, I, I understand it's Summerfest, and in particular, it's Bastille Days, where the thing, which is free, is riding right in the middle of where Bastille Days is. So, you know, could people jump on and say, oh, I'll us take this for a couple blocks or whatever, and then get off? Well, well absolutely. What that means... For the long-term success of this is completely and totally different because my guess is if you were rubbing, running rubber-tire trolleys, Summerfest, and through the middle of Bastille Days, you'd have huge ridership on that as, as well. So, in any event, this is the story. It's a story in the Business Journal. You, you've got the mayor who, who can't wait to drop these numbers. Look, look, look at what's happened over the last couple of weeks. This means that you know we, we've got to get this thing we've got to get this thing going you know and and yes we it is entirely possible that we're going to have to end up dipping into our general revenue to in order to pay for this because we now question whether we're ever going to be able to charge for it so just like years ago you were told that if you like your doctor you can keep your doctor and you know you like your health care plan you can keep your health care plan just like you were told that you know and that didn't work out you know now you know people in Milwaukee are being told were told originally don't worry this is this isn't going to cost people any money at all well now the reality is moving forward it may very well in order to pay for the operating costs cost people as they have to again, dip into it, and that means if you're taking money out of parking revenue, that perhaps means, I don't know, money that otherwise would be used to improve roads or sidewalks or pay for cops or whatever might not be there. So free rides in the middle of Bastille days, the numbers for that two-week period were really, really good, and that's fine. That's fine. Great. But I guess my point is to make large-scale decisions which might – cost taxpayers and city residents tens of millions of dollars based on, you know, what is a limited sample and what are free rides, I I think just doesn't make any sort of sense at all. It's kind of like saying, "Okay, I'm going to start a business. I'm going to I'm going to be a baker and I'm going to make I'm going to make apple pies. All right, that's the deal. I'm going to make apple pies. And you know what? I'm going to give away the apple pies for the first month. Free apple pies. So everybody comes in and you give them a free apple pie and they say, hey, this is great. So then you look back and you say, hey, this is tremendous. Out of my store location, I I got rid of... You know, 2,000 apple pies in the month of May. Here, isn't this great? Okay, well, well, that's all well and good. But, of course, you're giving them away for free. What's going to happen when you start actually charging for them? Let's talk to Heather in Milwaukee. Heather, you're on WTMJ.
6: So um, in talking about the trolley and the numbers in July, I'm thinking that these are annual events for the city. So wouldn't this be something that would be good every year?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, where we have a spike. Sure. Yeah, a spike I mean, for Bastille back back day. Sure.
6: Exactly. And with the increased amount of events in the city and using, you know, using the trolley for the events. I mean, I think that was the intent. Um, if, if we continue to use it, then, you know, it's, it, and we get sponsorship from companies, I'm not sure what the point is that you're trying to make.
1: Well, my point is that First of all, when this was sold to the taxpayers, it wasn't so, it was sold as you're gonna have people are gonna to have to pay for it. They now are, they agree that if people have to pay for it the ridership is gonna drop dramatically. I mean But paying
6: a, for it by a sponsor or paying for it by a person is the same thing.
1: Well but not? they don't but they don't have sponsor. I mean yeah, they got Pottawatomie for the first year. All right. Do you think that if the, I mean originally this was sold like the fares are gonna be a dollar? So you don't feel that that's a betrayal if now they say, okay, well, we we recognize that people have to pay a fare. They're not going to ride it. You well, don't think I, people I are sold a bill of goods? Well, I recognize
6: that if they are able to secure sponsorship to cover the same amount and provide a service to the people of Milwaukee, I think it's a win-win all around.
1: Well, I mean, I guess that's going to be the, the challenge. Can you provide those sponsorships that are going to make that work? And I mean, as far as providing a service, well, I, I guess you know, we'll leave that up in the air, the, you know, what else could you have done with $70 million? What else could you have done with, you know, 50 or $60 million more to improve transit other than the the, the streetcar, which again, I continue to consider to believe it is a white elephant. And And yeah, you can go around, you can try to find the sponsors, you're going to have to do that. Because if you now agree that we can't we we can't charge for it because people won't ride it. So now you have to find the sponsors. Yeah, you better be finding the sponsors because the only other thing, the only other alternative, is now dipping into parking revenue. So you are taking away from repairing the streets and and the roads for a, a yuppie people mover. That yeah, it's cool. Middle of July, you run it through Bastille Days. People jump on, they ride it for a couple blocks and and they get off. All right, does that improve the quality of life? Yeah, we'll see. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: My head is just about to explode, and no, I'm 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 kind of over my respiratory infection and not coughing, anything like that. No, it's ready to explode because of current events. Now I'm, I'm watching. I've got CNN up here as we speak. There is. The the House of Representatives he is now paralyzed by an ongoing debate about whether or not they should rebuke President Trump for his remarks about the four very left-wing Democrat congresswomen on, on Sunday. Now, let's just review the – and and I just my, – my preface is the whole thing wants my make my head explode. It, it just really does. Okay, on Sunday – everybody knows the story – President Trump snatching – defeat from the jaws of victory trump was winning last week you've got the the left-wing part of the democratic party they're in a fight with uh, the more moderate people and you know everybody's screaming nancy pelosi and of course you get these people on the left that play the race card all the time nancy pelosi is racist all these types of things then you have a lot of nancy pelosi supporters that are fighting back well donald trump instead of just watching this play out He decides he's got to weigh in on this. And so he says these four very left wing Democratic congresswomen who are all women of color, three of whom are born in the United States, one who was born in Somalia. He tweets that they should go back and help fix the total broken and crime infested places from which they came. Then please come back. Show us how it's done. These places need your help badly, and you can't leave bad, fast enough. And, of course, the, the thing that everybody seizes on is the phrase, you know, go back um, and fix the crime-infested places from which you you came. Go back where you came from. And, of course, that's now – this is President Trump being racist, etc. He's now – people pounce on him. The media pounces on him. Um, a, a lot of – A lot of Republicans, myself included, kind of roll their eyes and say, you know, I mean, if you want to wade in on this, first of all, why? But secondly, you know, there's all sorts of ways that you could wade in on this without using some of this language, which is clearly racially charged. All right. So then you've got all the stuff that's going on. Everybody's outraged about this. So then he he takes to Twitter again today. These tweets were not racist. I don't have a racist bone in my body. The so-called vote to be taken on a Democrat con game, Republicans should not show weakness and fall into their trap. This should be a vote on the filthy language statements and lies told by the Democrat congresswomen who I truly believe, based on their actions, hate our country. Get a list of the horrible things they have said. Omar is polling at 8 percent. Cortez at 21 percent. Nancy Pelosi tried to push them away, but now they are forever wedded to the Democratic Party. See you in 2020. So, in other words, President Trump kind of... Doubles down all this on all this and jumps in and guarantees that this is going to be a story that goes on for at least a few more days. You've got Congress that's deciding whether they're going to issue a rebuke or not. This will be a party line vote and, and they will issue a rebuke. The House of Representatives will do this. Nothing else is going to happen on this. But again, it's political theater for the whole thing. At the same time, all this is going on. You have every reporter in the country. Who, by the way, when some left wing Democrat says something crazy, you know, they don't run out and stick a, a microphone in Tody Evers's face and say, well, somebody just called for open borders. What do you think about that? Or somebody, you know, they, they don't do that. But, you know, when Trump says stuff, what happens is you have the reporters and I understand they try to track down every Republican elected official they can find. In Wisconsin, starting with Ron Johnson, and then the congressman, and then um, uh, again the state reps to the extent they can find them, and they say, "Well, what do you think about what Trump said?" And in general, I will tell you, I, I will tell you from personal conversations with a number of these elected officials, they they just. They view it as an annoyance and a distraction because they've got their own agendas. Hey, this is the week we're going to talk about Social Security reform. This is the week we're going to, you know, try to push for, you know, healthcare reform or whatever. And instead, you're not talking about that. You're talking about reacting to the latest tweet from the President of the United States that is, you know, maybe you want to consider it to be racist. Clearly, it is, I think, The language that he used leaves him open to that particular charge. And now you've got every Republican in the state and every Republican in the country who has to answer those those challenges, or at least is being asked the question. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet mortgage talk and text line. Here's my question. If you are a Republican elected official who has to work with the White House and has to work with the president, What are you supposed to say and what should you say when the president, you know, goes off on one of these these Twitter, you know, rants and then kind of like digs in and doubles down? I mean, if you're a Republican elected official, and again, th- th- this isn't a game that, that the media plays with the Democrats, but that's okay. I mean, that that's just the way it is. But what is somebody like Ron Johnson supposed to say? And what is somebody, again, like Jim Sensenbrenner or Mike Gallagher or Sean Duffy? What are they supposed to say after President Trump does something like this? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on.
0: Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Okay, so what are Republican legislators supposed to do in the wake of the president's latest tweet? Dan in Watertown. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey Jeff, how are you doing today? Good. Okay. What, what what should Republicans say, do, if anything?
9: Well, I, I get to play U.S. senator, so you know, Senator Dan, what do you think of the president's comments about you know either you know, like it or leave it or whatever?
1: Right.
3: Uh,
9: first off, the fact the fact that people are allowed in this country to criticize the president and the U.S. government is one hundred percent American. That's what this country's about. The fact, though, that when you ask someone who criticizes the government if they don't like it to get out of the country is one hundred percent un-American. So I would have probably asked the you know told the president perhaps. To, you know, study U.S. history a little bit. Uh, you know,
3: figure out because we're not going to go back to the love it or leave it thing, are
1: we? Right. No. Well, you you would hope not. And of course, the president's comment went went further than that. See, it it, it it's actually it's one thing to say, hey, if you think the the, the health care system in Canada is so great, why don't you move up to Canada? It's another thing to say, go back to the crime infested place from which you came. Well. You know, three of these four congresswomen, they came from you know New York City or, or wherever they came from. You know, they're, they're Americans, you know, and that's 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 what just, you know, makes it so impossible to defend. And and I don't know if Trump thinks this through or not, but it creates a problem for every Republican when he does this. Yeah. Now, thanks for call 414 1620 Let's talk to Dave in Waukesha. Hi, Dave. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I mean, what he said was, you know, not good. And the whole thing is, is every single time he makes a step forward, he takes three steps back. And
1: why he, as I said in the lead-in, he was winning last week. You've got the I'm left wing of the Democratic Party fighting with the center. Why just not shut up and watch the fight go out? Yeah. Well,
2: because I don't know if he can. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is, is he's got to... Somehow jump into the into the you know into the mosh pit and and just go at it and you know he's not even sure what he's swinging at and the thing is his arguments are in this particular case really uninformed and, and whatever I don't agree with you know with with the AOC plus three you know what right. I mean I don't agree with their you know philosophy and, and but the, but
1: he's that. but but the president has made well, them heroes that's, <laughs> that's, the, no, that's the thing yeah, that's frustrating. I mean,
2: that just is. But if, But it's not, this is not like the first time. Yeah. I mean, you you understand stumbling once or twice, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, how many times has this happened?
1: Well, it, it, and it's so frustrating. I mean, like I say, I, I, I know a lot of Wisconsin politicians personally, and they, they, won't, they won't necessarily say it on the record, but off the record, they'll just tell you, it's like, oh, my God, you know, I, I, I wake up, I turn on the news, and all of a sudden I know I had planned for the next two days to talk about health care reform, and now I know for the next two days all I'm going to be talking about is the president's latest tweet, and it's driving well, yeah, a lot of them from, crazy.
2: They go from offense to defense. I mean, it's really what it comes down to. It's kind of like, all right, now i got to defend this. You know, I got to defend my position and, and whatever. And, yeah, yeah and it's for funny. Them, that... It's got to be frustrating, like with Johnson and, and and John. I mean, let's face it. You know, Johnson's like incredibly and Duffy, for that matter, too. I mean, they're all you know incredibly intelligent people. Mm-hmm. They just got to be.
1: But, yeah. Well, right. I mean, I well, I mean, door. Paul Ryan. I mean, th- you know, there was a story about Paul Ryan, the new book yeah, that's coming that, out. Right, that's a classic. Yeah. But but Ryan, I mean, th- it's kind of like what Ryan dealt with. Now, thanks for And th- it's one of the frustrations As I said earlier. It doesn't mean I'm not going to vote for President Trump, but I- I'd like to see a little bit more impulse control. It's kind of like this is before you work for me, but there would be a period of time where. And some people would think that everybody that did a radio talk show, whether it was a national talk show or a local show, we were all the same person and we all thought the same. So you'd have somebody in town that said something that was arguably controversial or offensive or whatever. And I get calls from the media saying, well, what do you think about so-and-so who said this? And I'd say, why are you calling me? <laughs> I'm perfectly capable of getting myself in enough trouble. I mean, I'm not going to comment on what somebody else said, but yet – you know, th- this is the position that, you know, the president puts people in. I mean, it's interesting, Liz Cheney, uh, Dick Cheney's daughter, you know, she's um, she's a, uh, in the House of Representatives. She had a news conference and she said, look, here's the deal. Our opposition to our socialist colleagues has absolutely nothing to do with their gender, with their religion, or with their race. It has to do with the content of their policies, which I think is, is exactly appropriate and it's clearly the, the right thing to say, but she shouldn't have to say it. She shouldn't have to be on defense. The, president's, um, the the president has put him in that position, them in that position. Tom in Watertown. Tom, you're in WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Tom.
9: The first thing I would do is they should condemn him on what, his actions or what he does. But you know what's going to happen if they do... He's gonna, the next tweet that comes out of his tweet box is gonna be against that person, even if even if it is a Republican. Look
1: at, well, look at what happened, the Paul Ryan thing. I mean, that was the big controversy at the end of last week. You know, Ryan gives this interview where he's critical of the president, and then all of a sudden, the day that the president is flying into Milwaukee, whenever that was last week, whatever day, that, that, that's all the talk. The president's just ripping on Paul Ryan. Yes. He, yes, exactly.
3: You're exactly right.
1: You're exactly right. Thanks, it's, uh, no, thanks. I mean, it's just, I guess, this is the thing. It's frustrating. And again, I'm, I'm watching I'm watching this stuff going on in the House of Representatives. And now we're taking time to decide. And, and this is all just political theater that's going on now. OK, we're we're going to have the Democrats that are going to be offended and they're going to rebuke the president. And the truth of the matter is, two weeks from now, there will be some other cause celeb and, and people will have forgotten about this. Just like my guess is 80 percent of you forgot about the Trump Paul Ryan thing from last week. I mean, it's just it, it's one thing after another. And it's constant. But my frustration is we, we've got problems right now with the debt ceiling. We've got a border that's out of control. We've got all these different, you know, really, we got Social Security that's just an absolute train wreck, or it's going to be a train wreck, and people in their 20s and 30s, you should be worried about this. And we're spending time, okay, are we going to rebuke the president for the latest tweet? It's just It's it's high political theater, but it's also all completely and totally unnecessary. And I guess I I just like to see everybody exercise a little bit more impulse control and and I would say that it would be a good idea if that would start with the president. My guess is that there's fifty three, right, fifty three or fifty four Republican members of the US Senate and however many members of the House, 190 whatever, on the Republican side, and to that comment they would all say just. You know, amen. Just dial it back a little. All right. When we come back, John McCure is on assignment. So I think we've got Eric Bilstadt. All right. Our, our, he, he is our, our just our, our, you know, our, 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 you know, guy that comes in. He's our Swiss, Swiss army knife. You know, that doesn't matter if you, if you need somebody to host Wisconsin's Afternoon News, he's there. If you need somebody to do the morning stuff, he's there. If you need somebody to sit in with Steve Scafidi, he's there. He is our very own Swiss Army knife. only thing he doesn't do is he doesn't fill in for me. I don't know if what that says one way or the other, but Eric Bilstadt and Melissa Barkley, they've got Wisconsin's Afternoon News, and we'll find out what they have on their minds in just a moment. Please stick around.